0: How do you go from arguing with your teachers in Tala to starting, building and running a business valued north of one billion dollars? My guest today, Eric Mosley, took a simple idea for selling gift cards internationally and evolved it into something that could quite literally change how every business in the world operates and how people view working for companies. His company was founded in Dublin in 1999 as Global Gifts. Mosley, who set up the company with Eddie Reynolds, originally envisaged it as an Interflora for gift certificates, with the idea that in Individuals might buy gift certs as presents for family and friends. However, it wasn't long before they realised there were much bigger opportunities available. It may not be a household name yet, but WorkHuman has quietly prospered into a large international company with revenues of $700 million last year. With more than 5 million employees using its platform across 160 countries, it operates employee reward and incentive schemes on behalf of some of the world's biggest companies, including Cisco, GE, LinkedIn, Procter Gamble, and KPMG. Eric Mosley has never really given a long-form interview, despite being perhaps one of the most successful Irish businessmen of his generation. I'm delighted that as a listener to this show, he chose Irishman Abroad as the place to share his story. Our own story started a new chapter this week with the launch of Irishman Abroad Premium. Sign up over at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad before August 14th and not only will you gain access to this conversation in full that's an extra 40 minutes you'll also gain access to hundreds of episodes in our archive bonus series bonus content access to our streamed gigs and of course irishman in america with Marion McKeon. and as i said if you sign up before august 14th we're running a very special offer to say thank you to everyone that's come over i will give you notions 11 a free download of my new stand-up special shot at Vicker street in march all for less than the price of a coffee each month look i love making this show i can only do it with five dollars worth of your help head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and join us but for now this is a small taste of my conversation with eric mosley that's the small talk now let's get down to business now your program what's the big idea Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately... I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish up you. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs.
1: Never has a nation
0: so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind high in the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome please, the wonderful
1: Charlie Three
0: Eric Mosley, it is brilliant to have you on Irish Man Abroad and I feel like I'm getting an awful lot of guests at this time who I wouldn't normally get. I mean, you're, (laughs) uh, you're a busy man. You're usually got the head down and you know, burrowed into your work. That's the only way that you get the company to where it is today. But uh, I was surprised then to learn that when you were a schoolboy in Tala, you weren't that way. I mean, as somebody who who now makes motivation and incentivisation the core of your business, what do you identify as being the problem with the young Eric Mosley back in those days? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i have to say the you know the young eric Mosley when i was a child i suppose i was you know i was very much uh, you know one of these youngsters who was head in the clouds couldn't focus on things uh, a little bit of add maybe would be diagnosed now um, really i would say, i would say so looking back but I, focus. I was very well you know when i was in school uh, i i i was floundering and uh, I always had a natural kind of gift for maths and uh, Mm. science type subjects but I always had great difficulty with languages so of course in the Irish school system you're being taught Irish all the way through and then Mm. whatever other languages you take on in secondary but I had great difficulty with Irish and that became like an anvil around my neck of course, uh, in, in my schooling, because I just couldn't do it. And yeah, and there's uh,
0: always these teachers that are like, "I'm going to teach you maths through Irish,"
1: <laughs> because, because that will yeah, yeah. help. But if you're struggling I, with
0: Irish, you're you're, you're snooker. Yeah.
1: It becomes the focus then of everything, and, and, and people will say, "Well, you know, wh- why can't you retain these words?" Mm. And uh, I would say, "Well, because I never heard them." Because I was sitting <laughs> in the class and I wasn't paying attention, I wasn't listening. And mm. so they would, you know, you'd be teaching, they'd be talking in Irish, they you know, t- teaching different words and phrases. and But I, I, I never heard any of that because in my head, I was dreaming up other things. I was, you know, think, I, was think, I was thinking of businesses, thinking of, you know, music. Even thinking of maths and science, okay, but certainly wasn't paying attention. So, and and languages is the one thing that even if you have, if you're not good at it, you can't bluff it. You know, no. you can't cram. You can cram maths, you can cram science.
0: Yeah, you, you can't, can't just cram, cram do a language. The yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that became that became a huge thing for me, and so mm. much so that when I got into secondary school, I, I remember coming into sixth year. You know, the leaving cert year. And I had a political moment where I refused to do Irish anymore. So I told the school I wasn't going to go to any Irish classes anymore. And it was compulsory in Ireland, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a political stance that this was an enormous weight on me. It was taking away all the focus from my other subjects to try and catch up. And I was making a political stance and I would go down to the kind of canteen at the Irish period. And the teachers were just bemused with this like this. You know <laughs> this display, and uh, I said, "Well, I, I'm going to have all this extra time now to focus on things that I'm I'm good at." And of course, I didn't. <laughs> so, and I ended up kind of, fa- you know, failing the Leaving Cert anyway. Um, no, but
0: n- I but didn't not know having,
1: that. <laughs> but not having done Irish at all, so I'd, I never officially failed Irish in the Leaving Cert because I never did it.
0: <laughs> right. So, so let's let's roll this back a little bit because. First of all, I would have thought that if you don't do Irish, that was one of those compulsory subjects that meant that you wouldn't get into places without it. And that was the whole. The whole thing and why it, it gained all of this importance and i remember lads uh-huh. like you who were like this is not <laughs> for me and you know yeah i think everyone listening to this across the world who's, who studied in ireland for the leaving search will remember those that were like
1: why do we have to do this anyway <laughs> that, that was me that was and you. they're remembering me yeah, yeah
0: yeah when you say head in the clouds I heard you say that in another interview and heading the clouds for most uh, young lads at that time was, I'm going to play for Liverpool someday. Uh, but you mentioned business ideas. Was that something that you would be dreaming up?
1: Yeah, most definitely when i was even at a very young age i was incredibly interested in business and i always had a few business ideas my whole life i've always had a few business ideas going on in my head at any one time mm. that i was cultivating or you know just dreaming up and uh, researching and so it was just a part of my psyche all through my life i was you know i used to watch the ad, like when i was you know very young six seven eight i would watch the advertisements on tv and I'd be picking apart the ads, like what are they trying to do here with this, you know? <laughs> and so it was just it's just something I, I was just incredibly interested in because it's on display everywhere you go you know mm. the pro- products in the shops where where they are you know display it what's displayed beside each other you know how do they advertise them how do they convince people to to buy them so mm-hmm. it, it, you're you're not you don't lack for for input and uh you know examples so i was always always from a very young age thinking of business and i would say even now i still have three or four business ideas always going on in my head the good thing though is with work human at the moment because we are much kind of bigger and we have a platform of products the four ideas can be within the same company (laughs) whereas whereas when we were a startup company it was you know uh, one of the ideas would obviously be work human but there'd be others and that's just the way you know my, my 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 brain is very furious there's always multiple narratives going on and to tame that kind of energy uh, uh, that has to be focused on things Uh, and so i always had a couple of things on the go in my head just to you know
0: yeah
1: uh, occupy it occupy that energy
0: so you know my son would be the same way and i've noticed this early on mikey would favorite tv show shark tank pauses it throughout (laughs) the the second Mr. Wonderful starts Mm -hmm. kicking something to bits he'll pause it and say I'm not sure he's right on this (laughs) then his his next favourite thing is to get out his Chromebook and Google, where is the company that they yeah. have, they've kicked out of the boardroom?
1: Well, there's gold there, Jarlett. There's gold there. Uh, you know, you should get, you should send send me on his CV. <laughs> he's going, he's going places.
0: <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, I didn't. I'm not going to paint a bleak picture of my own childhood, but I know that there was a lot of stuff we couldn't afford that were out of reach, yeah. and that. Actually, look, that was the same for a lot of people in the 80s. And I certainly wasn't in a difficult situation that way. There was always food on the table and a very happy childhood. But I know what you mean in terms of it did make you pay attention to how were they trying to sell me things Yeah, because you're yeah. so conscious of the ads were the way in which y- you lived with those things. You couldn't consume them, but you could yeah. enjoy the ad for them. Was that where yeah. that kind of came from? Because I, I I know you've you've said that, you know, it wasn't your family wasn't flush by any means. Was that part of it?
1: Yeah, uh, it, uh, there was certainly. You know, when I was young, we were. I grew up in Tala in the eighties. was a pretty bleak place. There wasn't a lot in my family unit at that time. My mother and father had split up, so it was just my mo- mother and my sister and myself. We, because of that, there was an extra level at. Not all the time, but at times where we went through some times where there was real struggle and real, you know, we tasted real poverty at, at, on a couple of occasions. And I certainly came through that time period thinking, you know, uh, I, I, I'm never going back to that. You know, I, mm. I, I got to get out uh, because this isn't this isn't good. I can hear people say, you know, we were young, we were poor, but we never knew it. You know, we wore rags at dirt, but we were happy
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: wasn't my experience i i damn well knew i was poor <laughs> mm. and wanted it wanted to not be like that now i also had a quite um a very interesting uh element in that i had an uncle who uh lived and i still do in enniskillen in the north okay. of ireland and he was he was a very successful businessman and myself and my cousin lar we used to go up every summer and spend a week or two there with them, and of course they, were, you know, they had a mansion and they had a boat and they had these what? amazing cars. Yeah, he was quite a very successful businessman up in the north. What was his and business? So for two weeks out of tires, uh, yeah. tire services. He used to buy tire services around the country. They have a, you know, quite an, a, a business now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one uh, family, but they or I got a taste of it by going up for two weeks. And myself and my cousin Larry, we used to look at each other like, uh, like what the hell? This is unbelievable. This mm. is just, you know, we're coming from, you know, quite a, certainly was coming from quite a poor existence going up to that. And so that, you know, when I look back, that was certainly an inspiration. It certainly painted a picture of what could be done. Yeah. And so uh, he, he started his business which is a, a business in, in, in Dublin. I obviously uh, was with Work Human. And Lara has a, has a fantastic phrase for a lot of this. He would say, as a philosophy for business and politics and life, there's never a truer four words. You can't teach poor. And uh, for me, it's something that is just got such a, a, enormous truth in it. If you haven't tasted it, if you haven't come up from that perspective, and had that experience no you can no amount of reading about it in books is going to teach you what it's like to have have nothing and have and feel sometimes you know mm. that hopelessness and it's even true even in things like politics you know you have a you know a politician who's gro- grown up in a well to do family and area becomes a senator let's say it's very hard for them to have empathy for the mm. disenfranchised because they haven't experienced it and you can't teach poor you have mm. to actually live through it to understand what it's like. So for me, as at an early age, I knew that that was something I would like to have. And the poor stuff was something I wanted to leave behind. Mm. And so maybe that was driving all of those kind of business ideas and creativity at even a, a young age.
0: I can think of a couple so, of uh, politicians who remain nameless who haven't tasted <laughs> poor. <laughs> and it does it does, like you say, explain some of the behavior. Because, uh, you know, that's that becomes a drive. Right. And when you get to university, your your choice, of course, and where you position yourself, I mean, it's not exactly the ideal time to be there, is it? I mean, it's kind of pre dot com boom, but nearly just at the crest of the wave.
1: Uh, yeah, it was right at the crest. Um, so my wife, she, uh, my wife, Carol, she gr- gr- graduated two, two years before me. And um, those two years were kind of instrumental in that when she graduated, we both did electronic engineering. And uh, when she graduated, she it was very hard to get a, a job. And in fact, she ended up having to start a master's because there was no no jobs. And then she ended up uh, getting a job for me. I, I got a I I got a job pretty much straight out and from that point on i would say everybody did you know ireland had yeah. kind of cru- so that those two years were unbelievable in the in the difference in in the country and of course we were in uh, engineering and uh, c- you know computer science type area. so it was the start of that journey for for ireland but um, you know, I, it's it's certainly better to graduate into into something that's growing than mm-hmm. it is to into some desolate landscape where there's no future.
0: There was so many jobs at that time that were essentially data entry. I mean, there was it, like if you think about how automated things are now and how we can extract data and how software has been built to avoid having to employ thousands of data entry people. I'd imagine that, you you know, pretty much anyone that could handle a a keyboard at the time could get a job. Do you remember that period? And do you remember what that first job was like? And was there any part of you that thought, don't get stuck here?
1: So for for me, I, I was hugely into computers when I was in secondary school. And so I was very much into software programming. And you know, like a lot of people my age, we all had kind of Commodore sixty four, <laughs> uh, you know, first first generation kind of gaming. Type computers. But the beautiful thing about those computers was you could program them. The consoles that came directly after you, you, you know, nobody was, they didn't have a keyboard, you weren't able to run programs. So, myself and my friends, we used to play a lot of computer games, but we also used to develop and uh, started uh, writing little programs in BASIC. But then I, we, you know, we also even developed some in um, machine code. And that kind of low level understanding that that brought us uh, stood us when we went into college. And so I was a programmer from 14 15, even though I was just dabbling. And when I got into college, it was electronic engineering development. And then when I came out, uh, that was a sought after skill. So I went directly into into programming. Okay. Um, But I look at those years as being instrumental in my my development. I had an absolute love of computers and I could program all day. Hours would fly by when I probably should have been studying. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I was programming little games on the Commodore 64 and getting great enjoyment out of it. And it was a real escape. So, it's you know, long term, it stood me well, but obviously I should have been, you know, my mother would have been happier if I was studying.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, like the reason why I ask the question is that uh, it seems like shortly after that, you start leaning towards finding or establishing something of your own. So does this hark back to those days of the head in the clouds and the business ideas? Like were the business ideas still bubbling away there? In, clearly, this gives you the groundwork and a huge amount of experience in what would become the basis of the business now. But are the are you still are you still dreaming of having your own business at that time?
1: I would say uh, absolutely. I, I think some people are just wired that way. So for me, when I was even in my first couple of jobs um, as a programmer. It's almost like I was detached from the job and looking at the company to figure out how to create my own company. Mm. And so, you know, I would be I would do the tasks that I had to do. But I was always thinking about how does this company work? What's what you know? Why is it successful? Where did it come from? How do you get from zero to, to this? And my head was completely consumed with ideas. So I was just waiting for the moment when I would start. A business there's no there i was never going to be working in a company for a, a long period of time i had it, it, it was my calling it was what mm-hmm. i had to do it was the only way to quieten the, the kind of voices in my head <laughs> was to think up business ideas and uh, and so the minute i had the opportunity i did and then obviously, those first couple of years were uh, you know quite a struggle because we didn't have anything, but um it's your vocation it becomes, mm. and you're happier in that struggle because it's what you were meant to be doing but and let, um, me, let me ask and, you and, this right, because mm.
0: there's going to be people listening to this in this in that same boat, right who are employed somewhere, and like let's face it, right now, they are aware that the door is a lot closer or more possible. And they probably would love to hear, you know, what's what's the best move? What's the best course of action? Or maybe there's people that are in perfectly secure jobs who feel that same calling. Like, I do agree with you that I was always an entrepreneur, always. I do, like, I can't understand how I didn't join those dots. And it's actually, <laughs> it, it's funny that lockdown has kind of lit the fire again because it was forced upon you you know you have to get creative in these difficult times but oftentimes it's uh it's something that's in the back of your mind and yeah you know, the irishness in you goes oh, oh but that's for somebody else what would you say to somebody yeah. uh, in that position who kind of feels like well i i do have business ideas i do feel like i have a calling that way what would you say to that person
1: i for me i would say shut up and just do it (laughs) it's you you, and it's the number one piece of advice for the whole of of all of business is put that step in front of the other and get going just get going start with something and when you do that you will be you're taking a leap of faith You're, Mm -hmm. you're no doubt taking a leap of faith and and in general Whatever you start with, which is co- could be dispiriting, but it is the truth. Whatever you start with will morph into something else, and mm. it's the something else which has the potential to be successful. It's never really the thing you started with. You know, it's like you know, Facebook started as the college, the replacement for the the Facebook in the, 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 the college the li- listings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, directory and and, and all businesses are like that you know um slack started as a gaming software company and then they noticed people were using what what they created for communications more than the game and so they moved whole scale into that now it's a 20 billion dollar business so part of it can be dispiriting but the number one thing is that if you have that kind of drive that energy then just do it just get going yeah. You'd be amazed when you put one foot in front of your that little leap of faith. Well, now you're out there, you're on your own, and it will that will also provide energy, and that will provide the impet- impetus to 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 uh, to think on your feet and get going. And whatever you're doing will morph. Opportunities will come along, and some and you will latch onto the ones that look like they have traction. And you will then iterate on that and it it can become hugely successful. But if that's the kind of person you are, you're only going to have happiness if you go down that road and you will have failure. And the failure is just a part of it. And so, you know, try and compartmentalize sometimes what can be some crushing defeats. But um, business is always very much like it's a sequence of bad news punctuated every now and again with some good news okay. and that <laughs> and it's only then when you look back after a year or two you realize you spent most of that time kind of getting these uh, little de- defeats but the couple of times where it did work you got up the next step on the ladder and mm. suddenly you're at the top of the ladder but even though you you know you 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 got the word no so many times, and that's that's you know when you think about it like that, it, it, you don't you don't respond too despondently to 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 the no's. Mm-hmm. Um, every sale every salesperson will tell you that they have to make twenty twenty calls to get one call to go to the next stage. It's just part of it. It's the same with any walk of business. You're going to have a lot of bad news. But every once in a while, you're going to have some good news and the good news will just catapult you to mm. the next level. And well, so that's been the story of, of all businesses.
0: Well, he, here's the thing I'd say to you, right, that I think that's absolutely sage advice that, that everybody needs to hear. And I, I, I live by it myself. And any time mm-hmm. I've, sh- I've just shut it and get on with it or chased mm-hmm. it when I've been like, I believe it to be so. I'm going to make it so. Good things have happened. Mm. But to go back to the uh, Shark Tank, we do see people in there who have hit major no's and major bad news or failures who are sinking thousands into an idea. And oftentimes Shark Tank is the place that they go to get the definitive, you are wasting your time. So my question is, that sometimes that advice that you've given, would you agree is misheard as just keep pursuing your idea no matter what anybody tells you, rather than actually listening to what each failure teaches you and adjusting yeah. as a result of it.
1: Yeah, well, it's you know, the Irish phrase, don't flog a dead horse, you know, mm. uh, if something is not going to go anywhere, then don't waste time on it. That's what. Where you have to iterate you have to morph you have to pivot into something into something new and going through that that failure can can teach you it's not that it teaches you you know the secret to business because you you, you can try something else and it will and it may also fail but the effort of going through that you might spot something within that failure that is working Hmm. and even though the whole enterprise is not going to work but that thing will you could follow that thread and that can bring you to something that is a hit. And mm. when something becomes a hit, it's, it it goes way beyond yeah. uh, what you ever thought possible. That is the that is the amazing thing. You know, mm. I, I remember.
0: Our chosen charity partner at Abroad is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity in Ireland helping to equip Irish young people with the skills they'll need to survive in life. The mental health skills that we wish we were taught back when we were kids are all there and provided by their professionals in their workshops, webinar and online materials. Why don't you go over and have a look? Jigsaw.ie might be able to help someone young in your life or maybe through a small donation each month you can help them so i would have been in edinburgh at this time were it not for everything that's going on and so would all my friends all the stand-up comedians that rely on the edinburgh fringe to provide them with a big chunk of what they do each year that all went out the window and it's part of the reason why i've set up the irishman abroad online comedy club it's an online streamed live event with acts like keith barry Aaron Heffernan, Al Foran, uh, Melda May, Danny O'Reilly and we've run two events so far with the help of lock-in events and conference services. August 28th is the next one, I'd love it if you came along. It is a, a kind of a late night talk show version of Irishman Abroad. You can buy tickets or you can join up to Irishman Abroad and for the same price gain a month's access to all of our episodes, the entire archive and all that bonus content, including the rest of this conversation with Eric Mosley. And we cover an awful lot more, including the politics of America and how that relates to what they're doing at work human. If you're interested in in American politics, we've got a series for you with Marion McKeown, who you might know from uh, The Last Word with Matt Cooper. (laughs) She goes head to head with Cal Thomas every Thursday there. And every Friday you can hear her talk to me about what is happening in America makes sense of this dumpster fire of a sequence of events that's taking place there. She's unbelievably good on the detail and the insider information of it. And I've enjoyed every single episode we've done there. And we're seven in and we've got an awful lot more to go right up to November when that election takes place. If it takes place, who knows what's going to happen? I'd love you to hear it. I think you'd enjoy it. You'd certainly enjoy the rest of this conversation with Eric Mosley. As I said, our special offer runs until August 14th. It's a very special offer in that I'm giving you my stand-up special, Notions 11, recorded at Vicar Street on March 6th, as a small thank you and a show of gratitude to everyone that comes over and signs up on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad to our premium service over there. It's the only way this show can continue. And I'm really grateful to everyone that's done it so far. Come on and join in and experience everything we have to offer at Irishman Abroad. My thanks to Brian Connolly, our producer, uh, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible, to John Marr for his unbelievable research on this episode, and of course to Eric Mosley for giving us his time. He gave us an awful lot more, and you can hear it over on Premium, but uh, apart from that, take care of yourselves, lads. I will see you next week for another episode of An Irish Man Abroad.